0: In today's episode of Crypto Over Coffee, I'm sharing with you a recent development that could change the cryptocurrency markets forever. But that's not all. We're talking about the unbelievable story behind the Solano wallet exploit, a catalyst for Polkadot's price growth, a massive crypto regulation development, and a 404 logic not found of epic proportions related to the big bad banks. All of which is brought to you by my friends at Masari ahead of their mainnet conference, but more on that later. That said, you know the drill. Grab a coffee, make sure you're subscribed and stick around for the whole episode and beware of scammers. I will not reach out to you on social media or in the YouTube comments. Quick coffee break and thanks to DeMello Coffee in Toronto for this coffee. Now, in the intro, I alluded to a recent development that could very well irrevocably change the face of the cryptocurrency markets. Here's the deal. On Thursday, news broke that BlackRock, the largest asset manager on planet Earth, would be partnering with Coinbase to provide end-to-end cryptocurrency services via BlackRock's Aladdin investment management platform. This means that these wealthy institutional investors and the investment vehicles that come with them will be able to more easily invest their capital in the crypto markets starting first with bitcoin and then later to other assets as they're made available on this joint platform or this platform collaboration the platform offering from coinbase is dubbed coinbase prime that's going to be the collaboration with the aladdin platform by blackrock and it's going to cover all the bases for institutional investors who want to get Exposure to crypto, from trading to custody to prime brokerage services and reporting, which is very important. This is very significant news, but it's not all sunshine, roses and positive news, despite the overall sentiment on crypto social channels that you might see. More on that in a second. The positive side here is that this signals very clearly that there is not only demand for crypto or digital assets at the highest levels of institutional investment, but that the world's largest asset manager is investing in and backing a platform. It seems to solve for the barriers that many of these institutional investors have faced in investing in crypto today. Of course, institutions have already had vehicles to get access to crypto before now. This isn't the first time, but this very well could be a pathway for others who have not yet entered the game for whatever reason. And this idea is further corroborated by the statement from the global head of strategic ecosystem partnerships at BlackRock, Joseph Shalom. I quote, our institutional clients are increasingly interested in gaining exposure to digital asset markets and are focused on how to efficiently manage the operational life cycle of these assets. A big theme of 2021's bull run was big investors like this investing heavily during a risk on market, driving the market cap of crypto upward in the process. And this Coinbase Prime integration with BlackRock's Aladdin is a potential catalyst for the floodgates to open in terms of institutional exposure to crypto. If you want a catalyst that will make the next phase of crypto growth a big one, this could be one of them. The sheer capital that could be injected here is pretty darn significant. From retirement funds to pension funds to all sorts of other vehicles for investment, there's a lot of money to be had here. And that's positive in many ways for crypto. It's undeniable. However, There are two sides to this story, because there are concerns about a $10 trillion behemoth like BlackRock swinging publicly into this relatively nascent market. Why? Firstly, because BlackRock being a $10 trillion behemoth that buys up real estate and other assets, driving prices up, and pulls the strings in the policy world, people talk about manipulation and all sorts of things, people view BlackRock as the enemy. And you can't really argue with that in some cases. They have so much sway and control already, and people in crypto are afraid that BlackRock and others like them will completely take over the space from policy to product to tech, leaving the ethos of decentralization and the retail investor in the dark. For people who look to crypto as a counterpoint to Wall Street, the entry of players like BlackRock is likely an unwelcome sight. Now if BlackRock's massive influence led to a Bitcoin spot ETF approval or the SEC sort of backing down from their aggressive stance against crypto, people would celebrate. But if it results in unfavorable regulation or stacks the deck for institutional investors at the expense of retail, people will be very angry. So it's a double-edged sword. And that's why people are both excited but also fearful or angry at this point. And those fears aren't necessarily unfounded to be honest. But we need to face the facts. Big names like FTX are already imposing their will at all layers of the space, for better or for worse. And being an extremely powerful player, an influential entity, has its responsibilities. That concentration of power can become unpredictable, whether the company was founded in the crypto space or not. The full force entry of BlackRock into crypto, at least in public rather than in the shadows, could be a major turning point for the crypto space and one that means crypto may never be the same. As a very wise person commented on a video of mine a few weeks ago, and I saved it because it was so significant, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And I think that's something that applies here. We'll have to see how this pans out, particularly on the regulatory side, which is the subject of a really interesting segment that's coming up later in the show. So make sure you stick around for that one. You're not gonna wanna miss that piece. Now, before all the craziness, the existential news around BlackRock and Coinbase was released, this week already got off to a pretty insane start when all of a sudden... Solana users began to report that their wallets were being drained of Sol and Solana tokens. And within a matter of minutes, reports started swirling about six plus million dollars worth of funds being stolen from seemingly secure self-custody wallets. Users of popular wallets like Phantom, Slope, etc. were amongst those reporting stolen funds, and panic ensued. People were genuinely fearful that Solana's core protocol had some critical bug or that cryptography libraries used in the Solana ecosystem were somehow compromised. Those are existential fears for a protocol. Just ask IOTA, a relic of blockchain hype's past. They had that kind of issue. These fears were rooted in the fact that the transactions that were draining user wallets were genuinely signed and conformant transactions. They were clearly signed with the private keys of the wallet's owners, and no one could figure out why at first. From there, things got even crazier still because as everyone's panicking that there was some full-scale zero-day cryptography bug or some protocol-level exploit happening on Solana that could drain wallets with impunity, it appeared that white hat hackers, or quote unquote the good guys, had launched a denial-of-service attack on Solana to jam up common remote procedure call or RPC endpoints to slow down the hackers as they drain wallets. If the network is down or otherwise unresponsive, the hacker can't submit some any transactions to move funds, right? I mean, it was pretty quick and and creative thinking from these shadowy super coders, to use Elizabeth Warren's term, which is ridiculous, by the way. But then within around 24 hours of the initial reports of wallets being drained, it started to become clear how this happened. Started circulating some news that Slope, a wallet provider and Dex on Solana had reportedly exposed raw seed phrases on their mobile platform via request to their servers. Yes, evidence suggests that plain text seed phrases were exposed on Slope servers. Now, the Slope team released a general statement after this news began to percolate through the community, basically stating that they acknowledge wallets on Slope were compromised and they're working on this whole thing with security professionals, developers, protocol experts, etc. to identify the root cause. But they didn't really commit to details of how this all happened, and that will inevitably come later. I've linked the Medium article with the statement from Slope in the description if you'd like to read it yourself, and I'm sure there'll be more stuff posted there. We now have a pretty good idea, though, about how this all went down and why transactions were legitimately signed with private keys. And well, it's because Slope had somehow exposed the mnemonic seed phrase for those drained wallets, which is a one-way ticket to signing and stealing funds. Furthermore, The reason other wallets like Phantom were affected were because some people had imported their Phantom seed phrase into Slope Mobile. So other wallet providers' seed phrases were moved into Slope by the user, so it makes sense they were exposed there. It also means that Solana as a protocol is not implicated here, so everyone needs to stop talking like it is. I've been very critical of Solana in the past, but this is not a Solana problem. This was a Slope wallet problem. It became clear as the exploit unfolded and data was collected that the pattern was mobile import and the creation of wallets on Slope. Let me fix Slope's name here. Okay, let's throw in that accented E, sloppy. I mean, If it weren't the headline of the show today, or if it weren't one of the headlines of the show today, it could have been the 404 logic not found, but that comes later, and I think you're gonna wanna stick around for the spicy 404 today. This isn't the first time, and it won't be the last time where a hot wallet is exploited or a team maintaining a wallet makes a mistake that exposes funds. The only true way to prevent this from happening to you is to use cold storage and practice good seed phrase security. A hardware wallet like a Ledger, Trezor, Keystone, etc. will protect your crypto assets and allow you to sign transactions securely. By the way, if you need a wallet, I snagged a promo code for 10% off of Ledger Nano X and S Plus models, which you can find in the description along with links to both products. That promo code expires early in the morning on Sunday Eastern Time, like 3am, so you have just under 24 hours to use it. Now, next up, I want to talk about Polkadot, a project that I am very fond of, and as you know, I am personally invested in in a long-term view, so a long time horizon on Polkadot. Towards the end of 2021, the bull run as people are calling it, Polkadot had really just started to pick up steam, launching its major roadmap features for general interoperability between many different heterogeneous blockchain networks called parachains, And those are all connected together on the Polkadot relay chain, the connective tissue, if you will. However, the end of the bull run brought a swift end to positive price action for DOT, the native cryptocurrency of Polkadot. However, a potential catalyst for renewed growth for Polkadot recently arrived in the form of a huge feature launch back in May of 2022, the Cross-Consensus Messaging Format, or XCM for short. This XCM functionality is a critical component of the overall interoperability mechanics that enables assets and information to flow freely between these parachains in the Polkadot ecosystem. And it also opens up another significant asset flow. It allows the DOT cryptocurrency to be used and exchanged between parachains. So Up until this May launch of XCM, DOT had been mainly used for parachain leases, and it was basically trapped in its home network. But with XCM, DOT can be used for a variety of use cases across the many parachains in the network, most notably DeFi protocols. As XCM is adopted, this new utility for DOT could bring new demand as well, potentially acting as a driver for price appreciation in the short term and long-term for the DOT cryptocurrency. As Masari researcher uh, Nicholas Garcia stated in a recent research report on Polkadot, quote, with the launch of XCM, it is now possible to build cross-chain primitives. Developing new functionality and use cases will showcase the power of the network and may reignite user interest and activity. So this will be a really interesting feature to watch as it's developed with and adopted more by the community of parachains and the rest of 2022. Speaking of Masari, by the way, they are not only the single greatest research tool in crypto, and I mean that, but they are also the sponsor of today's show. And I'm very excited to share with you information about their upcoming Mainnet Crypto Conference that is running from September 21st to September 23rd in New York City. The Mainnet Conference will bring 4,000 plus crypto builders and thought leaders together to dive deep into the industry's current state and provide projections on the future of Web3. Among the amazing sessions that are planned or the awesome sessions that are planned at Mainnet, there will be a fireside chat between Masari's Ryan Selkis and Ripple's Brad Garlinghouse, as well as keynotes from speakers like uh, Balaji Srinivasan and OpenSea's Devin Finzer. So if you want to attend Mainnet, you can get 300 bucks off of your pass today by heading over to www.mainnet.events and entering promo code Hashoshi. At checkout, Again, you can enter promo code HASHOSHI at checkout to get a discount on your pass to the mainnet conference. Now, shifting gears here a bit on the regulatory front, there's been some serious movement, both good and bad, in the crypto regulation conversation. As you well know, the SEC has continuously ramped up its aggressive regulation by enforcement approach to crypto, and it's reportedly investigating every single crypto exchange at this very moment in the United States. I can make an entire video about the SEC's somewhat shady approach to their current active cases with organizations like Ripple, Library, etc. And actually, I will do that, but it's too much to put in this segment. There's a lot going on there. The news I wanted to share here is still big, though, because it would mean that the SEC's jurisdiction on crypto could be limited by a current proposed bill in the United States. The bill would put the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, or CFTC, in place to oversee the crypto spot markets and regulate cryptocurrencies deemed commodities by securities law. However, it would still give the SEC the ability to determine which cryptocurrencies are securities and which are not, which could create this sort of power struggle between the two agencies or more than there already is today. We already know that regulation in crypto is coming. That's just a fact. Whether we like it or not, So now the key is to make sure that the regulatory approach is optimal for the sustained growth and innovation of the crypto space. For now, this new bill in in the United States only defines Bitcoin and Ether, which are already commodities, according to the SEC, within the CFTC's jurisdiction within this proposal. However, it would be a step in the right direction, in my opinion. The SEC has not shown any indication that it wishes to regulate crypto in good faith by creating well-defined rules before enforcement action is taken at large. So cooperation or checks and balances between the SEC and CFTC is a better outcome than what we have right now, in my opinion. But what do you think? Let me know in the comments or on Twitter at Hashoshi4. Quick coffee break. All right. Now, my friends, you know what time it is? It's 4.04. 4.04. That is 404 Logic Not Found, a firecracker of a segment on the show where we bring attention to illogical happenings in the crypto space. And if you want to help this show get some attention, which I think it deserves, I don't know, what do you think? Please hit like, get subscribed, follow the podcast, share this with your friends. It's much appreciated and it really does help the show. Now, today's show has touched a little bit on the nefarious side to some of the big money players in the modern economy, and banks are certainly no stranger to sketchy, borderline malicious type of activities like creating fake accounts or failing to follow rules around publishing accurate information about their products. However, there is one perfectly legal activity that to me should really be considered at least an ethical violation, if not a crime, and that is overdraft fees. Yes, the mighty overdraft fee, which constitutes an $8 billion line of business for banks. When your account balance drops below zero, the bank can charge you a cool $35 for the honor. Remember the whole double-edged sword thing with BlackRock entering crypto? Yeah, this is the type of reason why that news is concerning for people. Anyways, even if you... Have to be lent five dollars in overdraft by a bank they can charge you 35 bucks right off the bat and if you're lucky you can beg forgiveness and get that fee waived one time oh and if you're in overdraft for long you're going to start racking up fees on an ongoing basis with some banks charging as much as 36 bucks every five days spent in overdraft oh you want a super special sounding overdraft protection that'll auto transfer money to keep you out of overdraft that honor is going to cost you 12 to 15 bucks every time it triggers this is a disproportionate punishment for what is usually a simple mistake or an unavoidable reality for those who live paycheck to paycheck and i've been there myself it's demoralizing and it's easy to say yeah well if you're so worried about overdraft then keep more money in the account pay attention but for those who've done everything they can to cut expenses to time their expenses according to when their paycheck drops into the account but they're still just scraping by A simple delay in their paycheck hitting the account can render a chain reaction of fees for something they have no control over. And I don't deny that banks have every right in our free capitalist world to charge their customers fees or penalties for spending more than they have in the account. But what I find morally reprehensible is that they've built a multi-billion dollar business model out of taking money from people who are largely already struggling. Rather than putting into place systems to help people avoid finding themselves in a position of overdraft, banks instead focus squarely on profiting from this reality. And you may not find that to be wrong. And I empathize and I understand and welcome alternative views. Let me know in the comments why I'm wrong. But to me, it's an ethical line that's being crossed here, even if it's perfectly aligned to free market capitalism. In my view, banks that treat their customers like first-class citizens would capture market share way faster than they could even believe. And that's the 404 here. Banks act like customers are privileged for having the opportunity to bank with them, but that's a backwards approach. Even a simple change to overdraft policies, like imposing a simple interest model for those in overdraft, treat it like a loan, for example. Give the person time to get their paycheck and make it right before putting them in the hole. Seems simple to solve, but it also seems that banks want their profits more than they want you to thrive financially. And that's really where the 404 logic not found lies. Now, if you want to hear about the inconvenient truth about the upcoming Ethereum merge event, then you really should check out last week's episode of Crypto Over Coffee, still relevant today, a week later, and I'll link that up here and in the description. But I want to thank you so much for tuning in to Crypto Over Coffee this week and every other week, and I hope you and your family have a great rest of your weekend and week ahead. So until next time, cheers.